Way to hit that high note, too, Brother PJ. Awesome. Luke chapter 21 for this morning's Bible study. Luke 21, going through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. I like to tell, especially newcomers, that new visitors, I should say, that uh, we're just going verse by verse. So wherever we land, it's not anything personal. <laughs> I mean, you get what where we're all going. And so there's no uh, planning that in that sense, just that we're going verse by verse. And I say that because we're at the end of the world this morning, the chapter that deals with the second coming and the signs of that second coming. And so uh, with that said, let's pray for the Lord's uh, grace. Now, Heavenly Father, as we turn our hearts toward heaven to consider your profound word in this very wonderful passage that encapsulates so much of the Bible's message that there's a day coming, a great and awesome day of the Lord, where every eye shall see our Maker, our Lord. And so help us, Lord, to take these words to heart. As complicated as they may appear, that the Holy Spirit just give us a simple truth that we could grasp onto and be blessed and be encouraged by. In Jesus' name, amen. Last year, a doomsday-type end-of-the-world film was released starring John Cusick called 2012. I did not see it, nor do I usually see those kinds of movies based upon the so-called ancient Mayan prophecy of cataclysmic events to occur during the winter solstice of 2012. And I remember seeing a poster advertising the movie. It said, we were warned. And then a picture of a lone Tibetan monk kind of figure atop the Himalayas. It's easy to see what's on Hollywood's mind with 2012 400,000 people in the film are, are called to go into little arcs to be saved. Gee whiz, I wonder where they got that idea about the ark. Independence Day. The world ends at the hand of Martians. The day after tomorrow, the world ends because of global warming. No comment. I am legend. The world ends because of a man-made viral plague. Now, interesting that the lead character, the lone survivor, mankind's last and only hope, must use his own undefiled blood to save mankind. Gee whiz. I wonder where they're getting all these ideas. Well, apparently, folks in the movie-making industry have taken a look around And they're thinking, you know, life as we know it just might not go on forever. And it's getting more and more easy to imagine human history coming to the end of itself. But, you know, it's not what Hollywood thinks. And it's really not what some ancient, obscure Mayan prophecy states. But really what the word of God has to say about it. The creator, the sustainer of the universe, our maker, 
the controller of all destinies, the judge of the earth, to whom all human beings must one day render an account. You know, our consciences are correct. Things do not go on forever. But it's his word that instructs us and tells us about how to be prepared for such things. It's his take that matters. So if you claim to have come down from heaven, which Jesus did, he said, I came down from heaven. And if you can open the eyes of somebody born blind, which he did, if you can then speak with the authority of which no man ever spoke with, and then tell a dead girl to sit up and she springs back to life, then they crucify you in three days. Three days later, you're looking fine and walking around. Then, 50 days later, you ascend into heaven. Well, then we should listen to you. Your words are credible. And here in Luke chapter 21, the Lord is going to tell us how two things are going to unfold. The destruction of Jerusalem which will happen 40 years from the time he's speaking, and the demise of the temple structure, wrapped in the same language as Jerusalem at the end of the world, and the destruction and demise of life as we know it. So two kinds of prophecies wrapped up in one chapter, with one location, Jerusalem being the common denominator, but two things are actually going on. Well, Jesus would have people warned. You see, here's how to avoid. Here's how to be safe. Here's how to avoid the wrath of God and to live forever with the Lord and to fare well on what Tennyson so eloquently penned, that one far-off divine event toward which all creation moves. He wants you to do well. On that day, and so he gives us a heads up of how things are going to unfold. Now, you know, talking about the end of the world, you might not feel the spirit of Christmas, um, but actually, First John chapter three and verse eight says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. You see, Christmas, from God's point of view, is a declaration of war to save us from our sins. And we sing about it at Christmas time. I wonder as I wander out under the sky how Jesus, the Savior, did come forth to die for poor, ornery people like you and like I. I wonder. You know, I really, honestly, that's the profound mystery. And so even though we're going to talk about the intense ending of all things, it's in the hope. That started on Christmas, which was the beginning of the end of all things, when Jesus Christ would offer himself for the sins of the world. So here we go. Luke chapter 21, verse 5. Jesus now has left the temple courts to the Mount of Olives with his disciples. It is Passion Week. It is 24 to 48 hours before the cross, before the Last Supper. He's done in the courts. He silenced the Sadducees. He's just pointed out the widow and her two pennies. And now they have moved to the slopes, the eastern slopes there of the Mount of Olives. They've sat down and they're talking. They're 
talking about the temple. They're talking about things to come. Some of his disciples, verse 5, were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will all these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're about to take place? He replied, Watch out that you're not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, plagues in various places, fearful events, and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They'll hand you over to synagogues and put you into prison. And you will be brought before kings and governors on all account of my name. And you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you'll defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, sisters, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm, and you will win your life. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that the desolation, the bad thing that's going to happen, is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment in fulfillment of all that's been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing moms. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled by non-Jews until the time of the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea, the great tribulation now. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man, another term for the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, coming in the cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He is speaking to his followers in the great tribulation, believers who are in the time of Armageddon. There he is not speaking to the church, and we'll address that. In a few moments, he told this parable, look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer or spring is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, and he's speaking to those believers in the tribulation and Armageddon times, he's talking to them. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. In other words, 
When you see all hell breaking loose and you're a believer and you're putting your trust in me, don't worry, it's not another lifetime away. The coming of the Lord will come in the same generation that those things are happening. It's not far off at all. He's telling them as encouragement. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And on that day, that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. See, now we've gone from Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple locally. Now, oh, something more is involved here. The Son of Man coming in the sky, every eye sees, and it's coming on the whole world. One chapter, two distinct events. And we're going to talk about that. Be always on watch. Pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. That's the whole point. I'm opening a door of escape for you, that you may be able to stand before the Son of God. And then the last sentence each day, Jesus is teaching at the temple. Every night he went out, spent the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives, and all the people came early in the morning to hear him in the temple. Well, ask a simple question, the disciples did, and you will get a very detailed answer from the Lord. The glorious temple you've been ooing and awing about, Jesus said, is going to be leveled. And they ask two questions which precede this answer. When is this going to happen? And what will be the sign so that we could be prepared? Of course, Matthew 24 and 25, two big long chapters, which is the companion text for this abbreviated version. Also, if you want to check out Mark 13. Now, if you're going to, note takers, outline this chapter really fast. We're not going to go through it all, but five and six, verses 5 and 6, the simple fact, the temple will be destroyed. 7 through 11, spiritual deception before the end, among other signs. 12 through 19, persecution and hostility towards believers. 20 through 24, the judgment on Jerusalem, the temple actually destroyed. 25 to 28, the second coming and the cosmic signs that accompany his return. 29 through 33, the assurance that these events will come to pass. And 34 through 36, the exhortation to be ready to live in a self-controlled life. For our purpose, you know, we don't have time on a Sunday morning uh, sermon to address everything in this chapter, but I do think that we have time to kind of get a handle on the basic idea of what Jesus is talking about to the Jews about the destruction of Jerusalem in their day, 40 years from when he is speaking, AD 70, with the demise of the temple, and using that as a mini illustration of how the end of the world will take place around the sign of Jerusalem. So in both cases, Jerusalem is front and center. The way I'd like to talk about this chapter is three general ideas that I find helpful and that recur throughout the uh, scriptures whenever we're talking about the end of the world. There are three ideas. One, don't go crazy. Number two, don't give way to fear. You do not need to be afraid. And three, don't compromise your faith. He wants to encourage us. So here's the paraphrase to start things off. 
There in the middle of the glorious temple, the disciples were mesmerized by the beauty and awe of these magnificent structures all around them. And as they kept ooing and awing, Jesus interrupts them and says, You do realize, don't you, that one day, very soon, this entire structure structure is not going to be here. It will be leveled to the ground. Teacher, when will that happen? And how will we know it's about to take place? First of all, notice that they take him at his word. If you can imagine how unbelievable in that day and age... For somebody to say, not one stone will be left upon another. This whole thing will be flat. You won't even know it was ever here. Very soon it's going to take place, Jesus says. They don't say, how could that be? They say, when? They saw him raise up dead people. They were in the boat when he came walking on the water. They were in the boat when the hurricane gale force winds were blowing. And Jesus went, shh. And the whole thing went, whew. yeah. So when Jesus speaks to them, they say, well, when? They buy it, hook, line, and sinker. That's a true disciple. Listens because we're his sheep. We hear his voice. So he says, number one, keep your head. Guard your mind. Watch out. Keep your theologies and doctrines straight. Don't be led astray. Don't go crazy on me. You know, Jesus knows, first of all, that talking about the end of things brings out the crazies in some people. So, amen? Yeah, it's true. So he says, watch out for them. Number one, when you start talking about the uh, finite quality of life, and when it dawns on people, you know, this isn't going to go on forever, neither you nor the world. goes on forever, people start to get crazy. He said, number one, guard yourself from being misled or deceived. The temple, to say the temple was going to be flattened, 500 yards long by 400 yards wide, five times the length of a football field long, four times the length wide. Uh, Listen to a description The temple remodeled had been a work in progress for nearly 80 years, and it was almost complete. In fact, it got finished seven years before it was destroyed. Tall colonnades, precious gems, an entire structure covered with gold plates, blinding the eyes as it reflected the sun. The marble was so pure and white that visitors approaching the temple mount thought that it was covered in snow. It was a sight to behold. And so it for 1,000 years, 1,000 years, Solomon built the temple, right? It lasted 600 years before that, that thing got leveled. And then, with the help of Zerubbabel and Ezra, they rebuilt the temple. And that temple lasted 400 years. Now, the last 70 years, and under Herod, the current Herod, the great Herod, the temple was being remodeled and expanded. It was a beautiful thing. And Jesus says, you know, oh, by the way, the pillar, the heartbeat of Judaism, the center of Jewish life for 1,000 years will be leveled. You won't even know it was ever standing here. Just 40 years from then. That's an amazing thing. Now, 
you know, this is kind of a reality check no matter across the board. Because the same is true, whatever we're talking about. Jesus would say the same thing about whatever you're ooing and aahing about today. You know, Jesus would say, uh, like, for example, you could go to the Grand Canyon and ooh and aah. The mountains or the Pacific coast and ooh and aah. And he would say, you do realize that the earth is going to melt like wax. Second um, Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Or you could take them to Montana and, and look at the sky and say, Lord, look at those stars and the constellations. And he would say, you do know that those are going to disappear and be rolled up like a scroll. Isaiah chapter 60. I'm sorry, chapter 40. Ah, you could say, you know, check out somebody's beauty and their youth and the strength of their body. And he would say, you do know gravity happens, <laughs> right? I mean, folks, Proverbs 31, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. The other day, some guy said, walked up to me and he goes, check out these guns. And I said, in my mind, those guns are going to be water pistols someday. <laughs> well, you know, come on, man. You know, whatever we're seeing, we see the billionaire and his limitless supply, his ruling estates. And Jesus would say, you do realize, cast but a glance at riches and they will sprout wings and fly away. So no matter what you ooh and awe about, there is a temporal nature to us and the world around us and our accomplishments and our achievements. And Jesus says, you know what? You can enjoy these things, but know this, to trust in them is to be a fool. Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17 We do not look at the things that are seen, but to the unseen things. For the the things that you can see are temporary, but the things that you cannot see, eternal. So put your trust in those things. All people are like grass, the Bible says, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. The world and its desires pass away but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And so that's kind of an indirect insight there where they got God in a body sitting next to these elaborate structures and they're ooing and aahing about the structure next to the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. Jesus had to tell them about this temple, beautiful But quote, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 6, somebody greater than the temple standing here. Imagine a mere man saying, do you see this structure? I'm greater. He's God. And we ooh and aah about the structure. And God's saying, you're looking straight past me and you're ooh and aah about the wrong thing. The structure isn't going to stand the test of time. It's not going to save you. It's not going to fill your heart. Not about the building or the gems or the gleam. 
It's about me in right relationship with him. And so he says, look, people are going to figure out the end is coming and they're going to get crazy. Please be different. All right. So watch out for false teachers that say, I'm the one. Follow me. I met a guy one time who was claiming to be God. And then I met another guy who told me that I was God. And uh, I mean, he told me to open my third eye. And I would see the fact of who I truly was. Uh, the Lord says, please don't go crazy. Do not go crazy. Uh, uh, I saw a documentary about a tribe today in Indonesia that before the rice harvest, they all get on horses. They drink fermented things <laughs> that make them see funny things. And and. They take sharpened bamboo and they spear one another until the first person dies to appease the God of the underworld to give them a good harvest. This is today. I saw it with my own eyes. He said, could you not get crazy on me? Do not get crazy. There are people in this county that pray to trees and they want to know what my problem is not being tolerant with that. So I just said to them, do you think the tree hears you? Well, of course. Can't you hear the song it's singing? <laughs> Jesus said, don't get crazy. Please, do not get crazy. Do not mix the truth with a lie and tell me that all males will one day progress into gods. And if they were married, covenanted in the church in Utah, then you will become a god and a goddess and procreate and fill a planet up with your own children. Jesus said to me right here, do not get crazy. And that is crazy. Scientology. We were placed here by aliens. The only problem is we just forgot about it. And if you give enough money, you can be audited so that you will remember that you are a misplaced alien. Now, I have met... No, never mind. <laughs> Jesus said, number one, do not get crazy. Don't listen to a guy who says, if you sow your seed today... Sevenfold, you will get back because the gospel, Jesus wants you to be rich. He came so that you wouldn't suffer. <laughs> Jesus said, do not get crazy. You know what, folks? 88 reasons why he's going to come back in 1988. Whoops, I was wrong. So what I meant was 1994, radio preacher Harold Camping. Oh, 1994. Whoops. What I meant was 2011. That's next year. Jesus said, what? What did he say? Don't get crazy on me. Dave Koresh, follow me. I'm the Christ. God said, don't get crazy. Do not follow people like that. He said in the last days, dangerous times will come. People will not put up with sound doctrine. 
Instead, they, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth outside to things that are not true. I want to be a Christian and love God and I want to live sexually immoral. Oh, today? You can do it. And you can get blessed with a minister, with a collar, and a Bible right in front of two of the same sex. Accumulating teachers to tell them not the gospel, but what they want to hear. And I want to hear, I can have my sin and my Savior too. And the Bible says, don't get crazy. You can't have sin and the blessing of God. It doesn't work that way. Number two, he says, don't be afraid. Because you might be tempted to be afraid. You hear a prophecy like this, it's easy to start panicking. Here's the paraphrase. Jesus says, to answer your question about the end, here's what you can look for. Wars. Lots of talk of war. Revolutions. Country against country, earthquakes all over the place, famines and deadly plagues, fearful signs in the heavens. But these things aren't the end. They're just the sign that it's coming. Now, Jesus gets to the point. You're asking me about what to look for. Let me speak to the issue. See to it that you're not afraid. That's the point of the gospel. He gives us general understanding. He wants us to be in the know. But then he says, you know what? This sounds scary, doesn't it? Sounds scary to me. He says, oh, though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, you will stand there unafraid. The Holy Spirit will be in you. You're in Christ, and Christ is in you. You're safe. Though an army besiege me, though 10,000 at my right hand, it shall not befall you. He says, some of you are going to give your life for the gospel, and many have. He says, don't worry. Not a hair on your head will be harmed because you are in my hand and you will live forever. You will never suffer the second death. The most that they can do is kill your body. And then Jesus says, and then (laughs) what? Well, to us, that's a big deal. Jesus says, oh, no, see, past just the killing of the body. You get a long time after that of eternity with the Lord. Well, the Lord wants his followers, out of love, to pay attention. And so before the temple was thrown down, as it was in AD 70, great earthquakes shook the Roman Empire. Rome was at war with Syria and the Samaritans. Mount Vesuvius was belching up its contents, blowing its top there for all the world to see, those signs in the skies. A terrible famine, as recorded in Acts 11, Lots of famines, and Josephus writes about a comet that lit up the night sky in the shape of a sword for one year before the temple was destroyed. Signs in the sky. A comet that lit up that looked like a sword that everybody called to. There's the sword hanging over Jerusalem. Come on. Now it is said that the Christian community fled that there is not one record of a Christian Jew perishing in A.D. 70. Only those who refused to flee. He said, when you see these signs, flee. 
And it is written in history that the Christian community fled across the Jordan to a city called P-E-L-L-A. They believed and they were spared. And that was the whole point that you would escape. He says, when you see these things coming, take refuge. So, just as Jesus said, 1.1 million Jews were killed, 97,000 were taken captive. And, you know, here's what Josephus again reports, quote, Jerusalem was so thoroughly pummeled to the ground by those that demolished it to its foundations that nothing was left that could ever persuade visitors that it had once been a place of habitation. Now, the Lord calls it there punishment. Now, do you remember last chapter there was a parable? Jesus told about uh, God being the owner of a vineyard, renting it to to, um, managers, and those managers were the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders were then mistreating those the owner would send to collect his due. And he turned them away. The tenants, the corrupt tenants, would beat those messengers, the prophets. And then he said, you know what I'll do? I'll send my only son. And then he sends the only son, the heir, and they kill him. And then Jesus says, hey, guys, guess what's going to happen? The owner is going to come back and put an end to those wretches. Now, the owner of the vineyard has returned to pay back those wretched tenants who ruthlessly mistreated his servants, withheld from him his due, and finally mercilessly killed his only son. Now, A.D. 70, it's payback time. Well, think about it. The Son of God shows up to his own people, the second person of the Godhead, in fulfillment of 300 prophecies, signs, wonders, miracles, the God-man in their midst, lays down his life, he's tortured by his own people, resurrected, the Holy Spirit comes, miracles continue, and they persecute his followers to their death, the same guys. Now Jesus lovingly with tears says, please, repent, turn, escape. And then judgment falls. Now, Proverbs 22.3, the wise person sees and senses danger and takes refuge, but the fool keeps going and pays for it. God took no delight that day one million Jews were, their lives were destroyed. He took no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but he says, I take no pleasure in this. Turn from your wickedness and live, says the Lord. That's what he wants. Interestingly, similar lead-up signs today. He says, in the same way, these signs will accompany the return of the Lord. Wars and rumors of wars. Well, how many wars have gone on? My word, we've had two world wars. South Korea, one of their islands, aflame from fire upon being fired upon by North Korea. North Korea fired off more artillery shells in an apparent training exercise while it moved missiles into position near the sea border. This is from this morning. Last night, defense authorities ordered journalists to leave the island in case of a fresh attack. The North, with their nuclear capabilities, 
has warned the current U.S.-led naval exercises that they would bring the region to the brink of war, and yesterday they vowed a merciless military counterattack against any intrusion into its waters. Wars and rumors of wars, famines, plagues, earthquakes, tsunamis, Sumatra, 2004, 9.1 earthquake, affected 14 countries, 227,898 people perished. False religions, massive spiritual craziness, the rise of persecution against the gospel, global economic crises, brink of financial world collapse, plagues that affect entire continents, 25 million Africans with a plague, entire regions on the brink of war. But seriously, let's move on. Finally, he says, don't get crazy, don't be afraid. I love this about the Lord. You don't need to be afraid. We serve a living Savior, says commentator Riken, who has demonstrated his power over sin, evil, and death by rising from the dead. We serve a mighty Lord who has ascended into heaven and is ruling the whole universe for his glory. He has sent the Holy Spirit, God himself, to be with us and in us for every dark place, every fearful, uncertain event, in every hour of trouble. Whatever befalls the Christian, God is greater and has promised that the one who trusts in him will prevail unscathed come hell or high water. So finally, he says, don't compromise. Here's the paraphrase. Things will become very difficult for those who follow me in the last times. There will be hostile resistance toward you and legislation against my cause, which you represent. You'll get in trouble with the authorities for your faith in me. And called into account because of me in front of important people. In the worst of it, you won't even be able to trust your own family members. Don't worry about a thing. I'll give you the words to say. And no one will be able to stand up against your wisdom. And so here, in the end, he's saying, look, it's going to be an intense world. They're not going to applaud you or the gospel. But he says, no matter how bad things get, I want you to stay true, to preach the gospel, to live the life, to show the love, because that's the answer. So you can't stop giving folks the answer because there's a threat to you. You have to be true to preach the gospel and show people the way to find life. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand, Jesus said. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. So he says, keep on talking no matter what. Keep on loving. Keep on showing them the way. Christians alive at Armageddon need not compromise because of the fear that's coming against them. So all hell breaks loose here, verses 25 to 28, the terrible days preceding the second coming, the last half of the tribulation, 
Jeremiah 30, verse 7, the time of Jacob's trouble. Now, Jesus says in your text, the sun, moon, and stars will be altered. Matthew 24 says they will be darkened, that they will fall from the sky. Now, anybody who's read Revelation sees the companion text there as well. Oceans are upset. The world panics. But Revelation says in all of that time, most people do not repent. Though the world is crashing down around them, they will shake their fist to heaven and not repent of their sexual immorality, their magic arts, and the list goes on and on. Listen to Revelation. Revelation says from chapter 6 to 8, the seven seals, the white horse, the Antichrist, the red horse, war, the black horse, famine, the pale horse, death, and then a great earthquake. That's the seven seals. Then the seven trumpets, hail and fire mixed with blood, mountains thrown into the sea, a third of the sun, moon, and stars struck, plagues of locusts. The seven bowls, Revelation 15 through 16, a plague of ugly and painful sores, the sea, rivers, and springs turning to blood, the sun scorching people, terrible darkness. This is the whole point of the book of Revelation, describes the terrible times to come. And the whole gospel is that nobody in this age need to worry about it because... The church is first taken away. The church is not ever told to look for a sign, but to listen for the trumpet. If the church were supposed to see a sign, and then if you're on the rooftop, don't even bother going in to get your coat. Mm, no, no, no. In the twinkling of an eye, the Lord comes for the church. There's no time to do anything when the Lord comes for the church. It happens in a twinkling of an eye. He is speaking to those who are following him who unfortunately have been left behind to endure the days of Armageddon. The blessed hope is that nobody has to endure that wrath. So Jesus says, at the end of all of that, then he says in verse 27, at that time, then it will happen they will see the Son of God coming in a burst of glory, splendor, and power. The new day has arrived. Revelation 21 then says, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who's seated on the throne says, I'm making everything new. And that starts when somebody comes to Christ through faith in him. Your blessed hope, he says, I'll make you new. I'll give you the Holy Spirit. You will not have to die the second death or, for that matter, go through the great tribulation. The Bible says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify us for himself, a people 
that are his very own, eager to do what is good. He says of this blessed hope, Jesus, listen, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, who saves us from the coming wrath. I'm not talking about hell there. He's talking about Armageddon, the last days, the last half of the tribulation, when the trumpets and the seals and the judgment of God falls just like it did on Jerusalem, leveling it to the ground to where Matthew says, if he didn't cut those days short, nobody would survive. And in the same way that you could look at A.D. 70's Jerusalem destruction as leveled, the same exact way. Cheers. The same exact way you'll be able to look at this world and go, this was a world. Read Revelation. It will not bring God any joy to do that. It will bring God great joy if we turn to him. Let's pray together. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words of encouragement to us. You're saying, be careful, be on your guard so that you can escape this. And surely you were born Christmas to come and make a a payment on our behalf to stand in our stead to pay the ransom so that come hell or high water, we'd have a savior. We thank you, Lord, for your great and precious promises that keep us safe and promise us that we will live forever. The shadow of your wonderful love and the protective power of God Almighty. So we look to you, Lord, and we know some tough times are ahead for the world, but you said in a twinkling of an eye, as you took Lot and his family of believers out, and then judgment fell. So to the church, rescued, lifted up, taken out of the way, safe, because we trust in you. So Lord, our blessed hope, we look to you. Help us to be comforted by these words and encouraged to shine brighter, to love more deeply, and to trust in more uh, devoted ways. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together. Closing song. I was reading about the worst tornado that ever struck the United States. March 18th, 1925, it was called the Tri-State Tornado. It started in the Ozarks, southeast Missouri, headed east to southern Illinois, and then west to Indiana. 219 miles, 300 mile-per-hour winds, houses lifted off of their foundations, automobile-sized missiles launched, 600 people died. The story is told of a dad who's home with his little boy, and uh, he saw the funnel. He went into the basement to the storm cellar, and the little boy in his arms, the tornado passed right over. 
The little boy fell asleep in his father's arms. When they came up out of the cellar, the little boy looked around in amazement. Nothing was left. And he said, Daddy, I didn't feel a thing. How did this happen? I didn't hear anything. I didn't feel anything. That's exactly what the Lord is saying. A mountain can fall into the heart of the sea. 10,000, they fall at your right side. These are all the images that God has in his word for you. My friend, he says, come. By having faith in Christ, you come into the heart and presence of God Almighty. He says, when you're in the presence of my love, nothing can touch you. Height, nor death, nor angels, demons, danger, nakedness, peril, sword, famine. He says, name it. And he makes a long list there. He says, try me out. Come into my storm cellar. You won't feel a thing, honestly. And Father, we do take you up. And you say, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How easy is that? For all the complications about how this world will unfold, the bottom simple line is this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever, whosoever just trusts in Jesus should not perish in the storm and the judgment and the unfolding and Armageddon, you name it, should not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, Father, we just commit ourselves to the simple truth that those who call upon you, who trust in you, you are a refuge to, for us, Lord. And we take shelter in you this morning. Help us to shine our lights, Lord, for you. Now, as your heads are bowed and our eyes closed, I'd I'd like not to miss an opportunity for those who have come here. They're not reconciled with God. You don't have a personal relationship with Christ. And this is the kind of sermon that should kind of smack you upside of your soul and say, come on, buddy, it's time. So if you'd like to uh, accept Christ as your Lord and Savior today and you never have before, you just slip up your hand and say, pray for me that I would receive Christ today. Anybody here want that prayer? Not a rededication prayer, but for the very first time, you just say, Pastor Ross, include me in your closing prayer for that. We've got one hand. So we're going to say the sinner's prayer together. Anybody else just want to acknowledge that you want to get right with God today? All right, well, let's help these two brothers out. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. I need your help. Please save me. Wash me from my sins. Cleanse me. Put the Holy Spirit inside my heart and keep me safe. And on that day, raise me up. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Father, we just ask your blessing on all of us here. We thank you for the two who raised their hands. May they, Lord, come forward and get some Bibles and some prayer. and Find the support they need to walk.
in this day as Christian men. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our hearts and lives and for giving us a heads up. Now help us walk worthy of your love. In Jesus' name, amen.